going into my basketball. Every time I rock, man, this is how we rap around. Peace to my man. Now we got the camera out. Every time I spit it, cross over the all right. Hello, everyone. This is Josh, also known as Yashu. You're tuning into another episode of TLOI Talks, episode 45. And, you know, you could stream it, like listen it to in all platforms, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Buzzsprout. But I already explained it a lot, like in the past episodes, too. And, you know, let's get it started uh, right here and all that, you know. So we have like one uh, legendary guest like in the building uh, today um, who's making a name uh, for herself like, you know, within her career in music and within acting too with well-known singles like Little Demon, Weak in the Knees, If I Follow, Go Slow, Overtime, who's been acting and modeling all her like life in that sense too with roles in Poser and in Drowning and also the daughter of a well-known lead singer of a Canadian R&B group that's won multiple Junos. Uh, Jack Soul. Uh, we have Beauty in the Rider here in the pod today. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Happy to be here. Nah, you know, like it was a pleasure. Like it's dope to have you on and all that too. And like, you know, we were talking about like how I managed to like get to know you like a little bit more. And it was mm-hmm. like from that IG post that I kind of created. Well, YouTube post that I kind of created more too. And, you know, just like timelining your father's like music along with like other people's music, you know, within the Juno Award uh, sense too. And then did more research, you know, listened to the music and, you know, just kind of got it from there and all that. And like, just like researching all these like interviews and all this like other content too. It's interesting to see like your story and like everything else too. And I know that everyone knows like your father's like story uh, for a bit too. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hayden uh, Neal, correct? Yes, you're correct. So like now it's like, more so i want to like figure out like more of your story and like let everyone like know more about like you in that sense too because we can only see it from one person's perspective but we don't see it like in another person's perspective like the person that's kind of making it on their own and all that and you know i'm open Mm -hmm. to like sharing it like right here today and you know definitely get to start and all that you know awesome yeah i love i love that yeah, no, almost definitely. So, um, just taking taking it back in. So, you grew up in uh, Guelph and Toronto, correct? Yeah, I grew up back and forth between the two. Uh, true. <laughs> so, um, I know, like, usually for some people too, like, I always ask, like, the neighborhoods and all that too. So, like, where did you grow up, like, in those areas, and like, what was like the environment like for you as like a kid at that time? Um, Guelph. I'm a huge animal lover. Anyone who knows me knows I I love animals and wildlife. So. In Guelph, the area I grew up in, I would often go to, like, the creek or, like, go. And I'd come home with, like, baby ducks, baby birds. Like, I used to come home bringing animals home all the time. So that was kind of my upbringing in Guelph. I was rudely, it was a rude awakening for me when I moved to Toronto and found out, like, I couldn't go venture by myself anymore because it's the big city and not as safe. So um, we moved around a lot. I spent a lot of my time in Toronto in the beaches area is where we kind of ended up. Um, my parents both just thought it was like a really good neighborhood for kids. So that's where I spent a lot of my time in Toronto in Guelph. It was like, I don't even know what the neighborhood was called cause I'm so young, Not but, true. but, um, that was like my home base. All my friends lived a block over from each other and Not it was true. like hometown kind of feel Guelph. No, nah, most definitely. And I mean, Guelph, like it's home to like, you know, university of Guelph and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, they have like a big, like farming, like environment too, like with a lot of farms, a lot of like livestock around in the area too. And just like a lot of like interesting stuff too, like some concerts uh, here and there too. And, mm-hmm. you know, the beaches area too, you know, with the jazz festival too, uh, it would probably be like an amazing experience too. You get to see like Woodbine beach and yeah. it's also like dope vibes as well too. So even in those areas too like were they big for music at the time growing up i wouldn't say so like i know the jazz fest 
obviously happens, but because music was already happening in my household, I didn't really take in the jazz fest as something that contributed to me specifically wanting to do music. Um, I think that both of those neighborhoods have a lot of people in the arts in them. Like I think the beaches specifically, a lot of people's parents are into film or, or, or um, music, but I don't think the area really was what did it for me. I think it was more like my household that really honed in on my music. No, 100% too. And I mean, we'll get like more for like further like into that too. And like, but like getting into your like story as well too. Like everyone like knows like more so of your father's story and all that too. But like with you, um, like aside from those like times, like being around like family and all that, like what were you like as a kid, like, to like young adulthood like you know mm-hmm. finding out like your main character arc like finding out like your story and everything else too like what did you try to figure out like at that time growing up wow that's kind of a hard question um <laughs> i think because i'm an only child um i kind of had the opposite of the only child syndrome where like i'm very like caring i'd say like i just really want to be around people um even though i can be solo like as a kid i really just wanted to be in other people's houses like people who had lots of family lots of siblings and like sibling rivalries and stuff like i always found that stuff really interesting growing up because i didn't have that at home so i kind of liked kind of going to my friends houses and just with with a huge family yeah um in terms of like my own story like i said i loved animals so i was on the in my head i was on the path to be a vet growing up for a very long time Music was more of an accident. <laughs> How music happened, it really changed. Um, but growing up, I also used to make raps with my dad and play at, like the talent shows from grade two, three, four, like really young. Raps about my teachers and stuff like that. We used to make songs together growing up. So I didn't really take in how much that actually contributed to who I am today as yeah. an adult. Sometimes we look back at things we did as children and we realize how much it actually shaped what we love as, as adults. So it's more oh, recently sure. I've realized that probably yeah. had a huge impact on, on what no. I'm doing today. Not a hundred percent too. And you know, like getting the like idea of art too. Um, so like when you decided to take even like with music and art seriously, mm-hmm. like did it like hone into going to like a different school that kind of like specialized it like an art school or like, did you felt like, you know, like there were like other resources at that time that kind of like helped you out more in honing into your music and all that. So I went to a regular high school for high school. I went to Malvern in the beaches and I came home one day and no, no knock to my Malvern friends because a lot of them went there. But I just said to my parents, like everyone's hobbies is drinking and like who they're kissing on the weekend. And like, I was like, this isn't the school for me because I just felt like people didn't have hobbies. And I know that's part of just like the generic of high school, but I really wanted to go somewhere where I felt like made more sense for me so I ended up going to Rosedale which was an art school and the minute my dad went through the gates he just loved like he was like this is an awesome environment for high school and so I think I don't know if there was it was music specifically I was actually very very shy to sing for a huge number of years so even though I took vocal I would be the kid that's like sitting beside someone kind of singing to themselves like I was never really that confident in my music or singing. And I think that's because my dad was so good that it kind of was the opposite effect where I'm like, I don't even want to be compared to uh, his greatness, but I loved dance and I loved acting. And that was like, you know, drama and theater is really what I loved in that school. And just the environment of just being able to be free to be yourself. No one cared what people wore. No one cared about like any of that. It was just like, we're all here for art and just, and I think even to this day, that's like one of the best schools I would recommend for any kid who wants to do 
who wants to be like in an art high school or art environment. Yeah, no, most definitely too. Because like with art schools, like I feel like with a lot of people, like there is like more of a creative like element to it. Like even with alternative schools too. Like mm-hmm. when you look at an alternative like high school, like in Toronto, or like an alternative art school in Toronto versus like a regular like school, it's more so like the foundation on what they could uh, provide too. Like I actually went to um Central Commerce in like the uh, early 2010s and all that too. So they also had like an arts uh, focus as well too. So they would try their best to accommodate to people who have that creative element while allowing other students to like flourish like in their own lane as well too so and even like in that experience you know from like malvern like versus like rosedale like what were like some differences that you did like kind of notice like during those times um again the hobbies so just like hobbies being a cool thing just being able to be like yeah i I actually can't do that on thursday because i have dance class or you know i'm gearing up to do this and that being more embraced i think that a lot of um teenagers with any sort of hobby that's not like the most generic ones are overlooked in a lot of school systems but i feel like it was really embraced and again the idea like you could and i'm not even exaggerating you could wear like a paper bag to rosedale and no (laughs) one would care like it was just that was just something that i think no one cared what sneakers you had no one cared any of that it was i think that that was a huge um improvement to you know the way that high schools normally normally is and I feel like they the teachers I'll say this to this day because I have some of them on Facebook the teachers treated us like little adults like instead of like you know the kids are in the way or the kids in the hallway they really like listened to us they really wanted to improve on things and I think that that also made a huge difference in the community of that school um, that school, I believe, wasn't an art school originally. It was actually going to close down because they didn't have enough people. And then the principal, Mr. Sketchley, I think he's still there, actually. He's just like, let's try to make it an art school. And mm-hmm. so that worked. And it wasn't a lot of art schools you have to audition to get in. You didn't audition for Rosedale. So that also made it a more of a level playing field where there wasn't this. Because some art schools can be snobby. We've all seen the, you know, <laughs> yeah. the dance movies yeah. and all that kind of that jazz. But that was a sort of a school where it didn't matter what level you're at, as long as you were there and you loved that, you loved art or there was something that you liked that was artistic. Everyone just kind of fit together, which I think is very different, very different (laughs) than the school I went to before. And even though I'm a chatty Kathy and I had friends in that school, I just didn't feel like it was right for me. Like I just felt like I had more to offer and more ways to grow that it wasn't really allowing me to. Um, So that's part of the reason I switched. No, nah, 100% too. Um, and yeah, I think I'll definitely like agree on that as well too. Um, and just like even getting back onto topic right now. So growing up as like the daughter of a well-known Canadian R&B singer-songwriter musician, Hayden Neal of Jack Soul, like Juno, I think like two-time or three-time like Juno award-winning or? It's three or four. I don't know. Ah, off, I, don't, I don't know the stats ah, <laughs> of true. my pops, but it's three or four. Yeah. Ah, true. No, <laughs> definitely. So like, what was like that life like compared to other childhood friends who weren't like immersed in that lifestyle? Would you say that there were like sacrifices or changes you had to like live during that time of his fame? Or was it like very like regular, like in that sense? My parents, my mom's also in film. So my parents were both in the arts and I would say, one of a couple of things that I would say are interesting of growing up his daughter is 
everyone, as soon as Much Music hit and his the single Can't Stop was everywhere, everyone just thought we were rich. Like it was just an assumption that we had all this money. And my parents had me quite young and were artists. So, you know, a Canadian artist. Yeah. That, so we know that's not the case. So I remember coming home one day and just saying, like, Dad, everyone said things were rich because you're on Much Music. And he's like, just tell them we're rich with love, honey. Like, you know, <laughs> and that was something that stood out to me was the fact, the perception of what our lives were like versus the reality, I think, especially as a kid, um, was very different. I would say, I wouldn't say I had a crazy different childhood because they never made it seem that way. Like, yes, I got to meet Nelly Furtado before she, while she was making I'm Like a Bird and while she was making that whole album in LA. But as a kid, I first of all, she hadn't blown up yet. So she was just like someone my dad knew yeah. and was, you know, close to. But I definitely had cool experiences going to concerts and shows and meeting certain people. But I ne because my dad was so normal in the sense that he went sure I did my homework. He was on me about, you know what I mean, my marks and that kind of stuff. I never felt like my childhood was, there was sacrifices per se. Um, one of the most telling things about who my dad was as a person growing up is he had said to me, you know, he knew kind of the fame part was coming and he just said, it's going to get really busy the next couple of years. If it ever becomes too much, I'll quit and I'll just songwrite for you. Like if it becomes too much where it's like an issue and looking back on that now, it's like, to know that someone had their dream and it was taking off, but they cared more about making sure that their daughter felt stable and felt comfortable. Like that's a huge, to me, that's still like a huge memory, like a core memory of mine. So I don't think my childhood per se was, you know, totally different. I definitely went on the road and went on tour as a kid, but I didn't even think it was that glamorous or different. You know what I mean? Cause I was just in a van with a bunch of the guys from the band like it didn't yeah. really click in now looking back yeah. i definitely think my childhood was awesome but yeah, no most definitely because mm -hmm. i know like at that time you know being you know like a daughter or like a son of like a well-known musician especially like in the canadian music industry too where it's still trying to grow like it can only go as like far as it can be so like you're mm -hmm. going all over canada to theater cities like Saskatch like in saskatchewan or like in manitoba or in british columbia or in quebec and like that's kind of like the routing from there alberta as well too and then going to the junos or going to like much music and all that too so it's only as like far as like you could like go in that sense too so even if it may be like as like interesting too like in some cases i feel like with kids within like kids from like canadian musicians versus like kids from like american musicians mm -hmm. it's a total different like contrast to the style that they live in too because you know alabama burger is like living in a mansion you know like singing on to like a lot of stuff on tiktok whereas for the people like from canada it's a whole different aspect you know so yeah the the scenes are very different yeah. and even now like i would argue now we're ha we're becoming more americanized in the sense of like our music scene and and our film scene, everything's just kind of blowing up, especially Toronto right yeah. now is like the hot spot, right? So I think that now maybe things would be a little different, but even celebrities have said for years they love coming to Canada because we don't have that culture where we're going to chase you down the street. Yeah. Like, so I think that hopefully, knock on wood, that we don't get there because I think that <laughs> yeah. that's that's kind of 
part of the reason I didn't have anything crazy. I yeah. definitely had a time where my dad had to sign a bunch of auto autographs and he would pretend he wasn't a musician. <laughs> he would be yeah. like, I'm Joe, I'm the plumber. Cause he didn't want to sit there. Cause he's like, I just want to spend this time with my daughter yeah, kind of thing. No, so yeah. um, I definitely had some moments like that, but nothing, nothing compared to what it is over like, there. Just no paparazzi or like nothing like that. Nothing crazy. Uh, nothing crazy. No, hundred percent. I mean, aside from your family, you know, like being immersed in, like in that arts, like what was like your first introduction to music and acting and what were like some artists or sounds like you know like aside from your family that you listened to throughout your life wow so introduction to music was definitely my dad <laughs> just growing up like my parents listened to everything um like from Sade to Portishead to Motown like there were just so many different types of music being played especially at that time being on a label because you'd get all the all the cds <laughs> you know um and so I used to listen to everything, like still to this day I do. I, I listen to country, I listen to Tool, I like just everything. So growing up with music was my dad. We started writing and making songs when I was pretty young and just that was like just something fun to do. Acting, I don't really know how I got into acting. I, I was thinking about that earlier. I always liked it and going to Rosedale really like gave me a better experience. We did an on-camera um we did an on-camera project and my teacher had just said to me like, this is for you. Like as soon as she saw it and I was used to doing the theater stuff. So that kind of pushed me more into wanting to do more acting um, outside of school and just taking it a little more seriously. So I think that's how I got into acting. <laughs> no, but, most yeah. definitely. Um, what was like the first uh, CD that you uh, bought um, like with your own money like at that oh time? Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, we're getting into the good stuff. Um, the first CD I ever bought with my own money, like literally loonies and toonies, and I think I was in grade two or something, was Hanson's Mbop. That that album from, I think it's called Mid Middle of Nowhere or something. I think it's called that. I was really into the Hansons, and I have no shame about that. <laughs> that was my first CD that I ever bought. Uh, true. I think uh, mine, I think it was uh, Life After... Uh... Not a, not a life to, after death. Uh, Ready to die by um, Notorious uh, B.I.G. and all that, and like I was like just kind of wow. like crazy into Biggie. But the surprising part is that was like back in 2013, actually, you know, because I didn't really discover like music like immensely like until that time too. Like I know of other people too, like they kind of like immensed it more like earlier on and all that too. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know, like around that time, this is like what early 2000s, late 90s, or. For the, me, for my CD? Yeah. Oh, I, it's had to be like, that's like the 90s, oh, I true, think. True. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I'm like, how old am I? But yeah, it was the 90s. Oh, true. <clears throat> no, most definitely. And uh, what inspired you to become like a singer songwriter and like artist on your own and, you know, taking your craft seriously and like mm -hmm. not trying to follow footsteps, but like doing your best to take care of that legacy and all that? I appreciate you putting it like that. Um, Sorry, you have to re-ask me the question because <laughs> I was like, that was so nicely put that I forgot the first part you asked me. Uh, it was like, what inspired you to like become like a singer-songwriter and artist? Oh, okay. Oh, to be honest, I started doing it for fun. Um, a friend of mine, Dalmar, who's actually doing really well in the acting world now, he was just in Lucky Lucky Girl, I, think it's, I believe it's called, with Mila Kunis and just doing really well. He was playing guitar um, and I just started kind of writing with him, like singing for fun. We made a couple songs. Also, Classified played a show at my old work, which was The Docks, which I think is Rebel now, I believe. And it was he played our Christmas event, and I was, like, rocking out at the front. He ended up 
end up going backstage and sort of meeting a couple people that he's friends with. And one of them was named Spesh K, who was a rapper from the East Coast. And he had me, he was the first person who ever recorded me. He had me singing like hooks on raps. And at the time I was so shy that he had to turn off all the lights, leave his own house, <laughs> press record. And that's the only way I could record because I was just super shy. So when I first started doing it, it was really like almost like a happy accident. Like I was doing it for fun because I like to, but I was very, very, like very shy. So it's kind of crazy to think that now I'm taking it so seriously. And that that switch, I used to go by Yasmin Soul, and that switch happened when I switched my name to Beauty and the Riot and rebranded. Um, and I just started taking it more seriously, and I had a different sort of, had a lot happen in my life, and that's kind of why I ended up switching and taking it the, way, the direction I've taken it now. Selfie. And I know, like, you know, taking, like, seriously and, like, not, like, you know, not, like, being, like, a shadow, like, of your father, but, like, providing, like, that legacy to keep his name alive, like... I know at times like you're trying to figure out like what's like the best way to so like even in that set uh, in that sense like how did you try to like figure out like from there to kind of make like that lane for you and all that I honestly never even thought about that as a as something I had to do as an artist it's almost the opposite where I was like I don't want to do this because I don't want people to think I'm trying to like ride his coattails because I really wanted to do my own thing and not be compared not because I love my dad my dad's like the best father I could ask for in a million years, but not be compared in the music sense because he's such a beast vocally that I was always like afraid that people were going to expect that from me. But then someone told me like, your parents work so hard to open these doors, you have to walk through them. And I just kind of started to realize with just growing up, like I'm always going to be his daughter, but I still can do my own thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that that takes time just to grow up and learn. I've never thought about it as okay, I have to do music because I have to continue his legacy. I think his legacy is well established oh, in a true. lot of ways. Yeah. And I don't think I need to do anything to like further it um, besides maybe document some things that I definitely think need to be documented. Wow. I'll say that here first <laughs> and foremost. Uh, most definitely. Yeah, I don't worry about it for me as a musician. I think they're totally separate things. And I think anytime his name is brought up with me and music, I'm just happy his name is still being mentioned and that he's still getting the the light he deserves. Uh, but I don't think I have to specifically carry the weight of like bringing his legacy because he already did uh, so much while he was here. Nah, 100%. And, you know, just getting back onto like track uh, right now, um, what artists or genres like were you like mainly like influenced by and which artists would you like to work with someday musically that you would like to work with or that you haven't worked with yet um influenced by is everyone <laughs> there's so many uh amy winehouse erica badu lauren hill corinne bailey ray um i mean even now like there's some of the new artists jesse murph is a huge influence of mine and i don't think enough people know about her but they will soon she just released a song with with diplo like last friday um, in terms of work with, that's hard. <laughs> uh, Jessie Reyes is definitely up there on my list. Um, a huge reason is just because she sings in a different cadence, which I do as well. And I think that when you find your own voice, it takes a minute for people to either they're like it or they're going to hate it. And I think that she really inspired me in a lot of ways where it's like, she just did her own thing. And still to this day, people like I either hate it or I love it, but she's so authentic to herself. And I would love, love to work with her. Um, so she's definitely one and Jesse Murphy I mentioned earlier oh, as true. well. Yeah. Like when I was like listening to the music for a bit too, like it kind of had that same like sound like Jesse Reyes. Um, there was like another artist too that kind of reminded me like similar from here. Um, I don't know if you know, like an artist by like the name of like, uh, Luke Callan and all that. 
I don't know. Yeah. Um. So she kind of had like that same style, like Jesse Reyes, too, for a bit, and then you know she's actually kind of like rising up right now. She actually did the hook, the hook for um Lotto's past uh, single and all that too. So oh, okay, I, yes, yeah. So yes. like you know when I think about like artists that kind of fit into that lane too, you know you Jesse Reyes like Lucala, like I kind of like understand like that whole like sound that's like coming through too and. That's, like, definitely, like, a sound that needs to be put out more, you know? That whole, like, you know, unique cue, but, like, raw, like, in that sense, too. So, and, you know, I definitely, like, love that vibe from there and all that. No. Thank you. Yeah. I Now that you mentioned that, the Lotto song, I do remember her voice. Uh, really, really dope. Yeah. yeah no, most definitely. Um, you know, getting into part two uh, right now, um, what would, like, a day, like, in the studio uh, be like for you? in the studio so my musts (laughs) my musts for studio i have to have a candle like it's not essential but i usually bring a candle there's something about candle i don't know i'm a little bit of a hippie there's something about writing by with a candle that just works better for me um i write a lot by like the feeling and not necessarily what i'm feeling but what the instruments are giving me and not to like jinx it but i write really fast and it's more of just like i feel like it just flows out of me so a day in the studio is is just me, a candle, and, you know, my pen and paper. I'm old school. I don't really like writing on my phone. I feel like the phone is so distracting and someone's going to message you or yeah. text you or call you. Or Instagram's going to happen. And I really prefer to like, shut all that off and just be with my paper and pen. Uh, uh. So that's, yeah, that's really a day in the life in the studio with me. No, 100% too. And I don't know if you kind of like blaze up or like get lit, like, you know, like drink uh, for a bit to kind of get in that element. (laughs) Get lit. No, I don't get lit in the studio. I think it stems from really wanting to sing like the way that I want to picture it. I don't want to get lit and then be like, oh, I hate this. Um, And yeah, like I smoke, but I love writing and smoking. Sometimes I find if I smoke and go record, then I'm in my head. I think too much about what I'm doing instead of the opposite. So, but I, yeah, I definitely smoke in the studio Um, for sure. And I know like in some cases too, like some people, like they'll have like different elements too. Like, as you said, uh, with the whole like candle uh, situation to others, um, they would like have like tea in the studio to kind of get their voice like good to some people. Like they're not like fans of like having like other like people like in the studio too. So like even like in the studio uh, rules, like in that sense too, like, do you have like, some things that you kind of like abide by to kind of make that space like comfortable for you in in that sense? To be honest, I'm not a huge fan of having people in the studio and I've had friends be like, oh, I want to come, you know, get their Instagram shots, right? (laughs) But to me, it's more like, um, my personality, I feel like I have to take care of you. It's sort of like when you want to go somewhere and you have a plus one and you're like, I kind of just want to go by myself because now I feel like I have to entertain you and I'm here to work. So I don't really want to have to think about, because most people who know this like you're going to be bored after you sit in the studio and you hear me sing the same section for a little bit if that's not your vibe you're probably going to eventually get bored and then I'm going to have to think about like are you okay are you hungry do you need this and to me like that's like going to work like I don't ask my friends if I go to work with them right so it's not something I abide by where it's like you're never coming but I prefer just me and the producer or engineer or someone I know and I've had people show up to the studio it's not a huge deal but I prefer yeah I just prefer to be like I prefer things intimate, so I would prefer just be like a couple of us working on something. Nah, most definitely, because I feel like it is like a certain importance too to kind of bring the best out of an artist too, because like when it's like 
a different type of energy too. Like, you know, some people, like, they kind of flow from energy. Like, that energy mm-hmm. can either change from one way to another. Like, if it's, like, a positive type of energy, you know, people, like, engaging, people, like, supporting, like, then it should be no problem. But, like, when the vibe's just, like, not right in that sense too, like, you kind of feel like, you know, I can't be in this, like, element right now. Like, I can't be in the space. So I definitely understand too. I'm an I'm a huge energy person. So you, you nailed it on the head. <laughs> yeah, nah, yeah the energy's got to be good for, especially for something so vulnerable, like singing or writing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. It has to be like good energy, people, good vibes. True. Have you like also tried like experimenting too with like different styles and all that? Like not just like even with genres, but like, you know, being in a different environment too, like, you know, recording outside or like recording at home and all that too. Yeah. So one of my producers, um, Bad Look, I think we started off recording at his house, I believe, like 2014 or something a while ago. And I feel like with him, we record like wherever, like it could be my living room. It could be um, Coalition Music. It could be a different studio. Like with him, it's very much like wherever we are, he's just really dope and he can just make it sound good, to be honest. (laughs) But I would love, I honestly like dream about recording just in like a different place, like sitting in Spain somewhere and just like recording in a cool loft or like a cool environment like that I definitely don't have a crutch where I need to go to the same studio every time um that that me is long gone (laughs) but I think that it's important to go different places because you get to work with different people different energy and I think you also get to learn by working with collaborating with other people you get to learn more because certain people are going to teach you different things or give you something different in the style that you're doing or just in the booth or hey maybe you should try this this would be cool so I love collaborating with people and kind of going to different places. Oh, true, nah, most definitely. And, you know, to get more into, like, your singles, uh, too, for a bit, because you explained it, like, in other, like, interviews with some of the songs, too, but, like, with other songs, like, If I Follow, Little Demon, uh, Weak in the Knees, which is, like, I think, like, one of your biggest tracks uh, right now, mm-hmm. and then also, like, Over Time and Go Slow, like, what were, like, the creative processes and inspirations for those? Um. So If I Follow, I had, so my boyfriend passed away in 2000 and. I don't want to mess up these dates. Sorry, 2000 and... I think 18, I 18. Think. Oh. Sorry, my boyfriend and my best friend passed away in the same, oh, like, true. within a year and a week of each other. So it was 2019, sorry, oh, that he passed away. And I was just really low. I believe it was, like, Thanksgiving or something. And I just I used to do Thanksgiving with his family. And I just wasn't in a good headspace. So I cried in bed for, like, 17 hours. Like, it was, like, a whole night and the whole day of me just, like, not getting out of my bed. And someone had sent me um, this instrumental and I woke up and I actually felt like lighter, even though I had just had that whole like bout of, you know, depression, but I felt a little lighter and I just felt like writing. So I actually wrote If I Follow in my bed. And it was originally about like, if you're with somebody and they're going through something, how that feels. And as I was listening to it back, I was like, this also kind of sounds like me talking to him. Cause there's a part where it says like, if you go up, I go down. And like, it just kind of like, it kind of poured out of me and I looked back and there was a few ways I could actually have taken my own lyrics. Um, so that was the inspiration for if I follow and weak in the knees, complete, complete opposite <laughs> weak in the knees was um, me and my producer. I was at his house with the producer I just spoke about and his, his, um, his mouse died. Sorry. Went down to get a charger from my car. And as I was walking down the stairs, it just was like, I'm weak in the knees. It just came into my head. And I came up the stairs and I had written the chorus. And I was like, we need to record this because it just came out of nowhere. So weak in the knees was like a gift from someone else because I always say that just came into my into my brain. Um, the other, I'm trying to think the other I think tracks you mentioned. Demon. 
Little Demon. Little Demon was the first song where I had switched over to Beauty and the Riot. And it was originally was kind of about stage fright, which I used to have and still battle with sometimes. And just like the idea that everyone has a little demon and whether that's, I talk about a few things in that song, whether that's like relationships or drinking or smoking or whatever it is for you. Like everyone has that little thing about them that you kind of want to like shake. And at the end, it's sort of like, okay, this is just a part of me. So that's what Little Demon was about. True. Yeah. And I think also like over time in like Ghost as well too, Um, you could like explain it like briefly uh, if you want to, but if you want to give like a full like in-depth analysis of like those styles, like feel free to go ahead. Sure. So Overtime is really about a girl being at home waiting for her man <laughs> and just being like, <laughs> yeah. I'm rolling your joints. I'm, you know, old school. You don't, don't hate me, but I'm cleaning the house. I'm doing the, you know, the old school kind of things. And I'm just waiting and I just can't wait for him to get home. And it was just kind of that, that idea. I worked with someone named Lefty on that song and he's been known me since the very, very beginning. And we hadn't had a chance to actually do a song together. And that was after overtime special to me because I had writer's block for like three or four years. And some people talk about how like writer's block doesn't exist for them and like kudos to them. It definitely struck me. And he's like, he put on the beat and he left me a spliff and he left the room, I guess, because he knew like my old ways. And I just smoked and I just started writing. And it was that was the first song that I had gotten out of me for a couple of years. So Overtime was always kind of special because that was the first one and I haven't stopped writing since. So shout out to Lefty for getting me out of my, (laughs) he's like, you don't need me. You're good. I'm just going to leave you in here with some music. So that's where that came from. Um, Go Slow was about like, an on and off toxic past, you know, fling relationship type idea. And then it just kind of spiraled into like a fun kind of dancey, almost like more of a dance upbeat song. I don't really have like an in-depth analysis for Uh, that one, but I do have a really fun remix coming with another, um, actually I'll just drop it right here. Trey Mission is going to be on that song for a remix. So I'm getting excited about that. No, most definitely. And, um, Correct me if you're if I'm wrong. You mentioned that you directed your own uh, music videos, uh, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So how did that how did that come about? And like, what was like that process? Like, you know, curating like the best uh, music videos and like visualizing the best aspect of your songs, like in like visual wise and all that. This is kind of a funny story. So <laughs> when I was going by Yasmin's Soul, apparently I was directing those videos too. I had no idea. I put my my in my head my director <laughs> bando on everything, and he was like you know, when after Little Demon, he's like, you know that you directed this, right? And I had had no idea because in my mind, the director was holding the camera. The director was, you know, and I do explain in depth, like sometimes what I want and angles, but the concepts are mine and I'm still editing with them. And he's like, you've actually directed this video. I don't think you realize. And I have to like props to him because I think a lot of times women in the industry we're quiet in the sense that we don't necessarily know the role that we we've done. So I was like, maybe it's creative direction. Maybe it's this. He's like, no, you've directed this video. And by the way, you directed the other three videos. And then I kind of clicked <laughs> to me and I was like, well, thank you for telling me that. Cause someone else may not have t- told me that and just taken the credit. And once I kind of put that director hat on it, I definitely changed, it definitely changed the way I was looking at everything I'm doing going forward. Again, being someone who loves acting, went to art school, I absolutely love directing and I love film. 
I get that from my mom. Like I'll rewatch a movie for the scene or for the way a certain angle was shot. Like I get that all from my mom. And I, I think it changed the way I looked at women in the industry being behind the camera and how it's not done nearly enough. And as you mentioned earlier, perspectives, everyone has a different perspective, women, men, people in general are going to have different perspectives. So I think it's important to like allow those, like all types of people to be doing different roles. Cause it just, everyone's going to have a different eye on something. So once I started really realizing, Hey, you are directing, then I just kind of took it full force and took it more seriously. And I think my most recent video for go slow is like the favorite one I've ever directed. But yeah, that's a huge, I just want to see more women behind the camera. I just, I really do. So yeah. Uh, I definitely agree too and I think like even like for Toronto too because when I look at like Toronto music videos too that are not like curated by like SoCan or Factor or for like other like formations like the ball has been dropping like so low for like music videos nowadays in Toronto like you know you get the typical Toronto music video where it's a condo and it's like people like people with their homeboys and all that with the mandem just like <laughs> linking up and all that too and then you get like you know a one two like video model uh, right there too uh, and that's just like for t the toronto male rappers like in some cases too but like for other artists too it's like you see a creative edge and that's like maybe like one in like maybe 25 or 50 that are kind of doing it like i could give like maybe like an example too like toby like his music videos are like mad lit and all that and yep. I think also, uh, who else? He's dope. I yeah. love Toby. Uh, yeah, I have to figure out uh, more too. I think Havai Mighty as well too. Mm -hmm. And then like also, you know, like as you said, like Trey Mission and all that, you know, like a lot of them are going to have like more like better and more creative music videos than the typical uh, one right now. And like, I want to ask more about your your opinion and all that. Like, what do you, how do you feel about the aspect of Toronto music videos uh, nowadays? Like whether it's like mainstream or like non-mainstream? To be honest, I think, like, I, I totally understand what you are saying about the mandem and the condo and the typical thing. But I think that a lot of times it's just that there's not a plan. Um, I think sometimes people just go into the the video as like a cool concept. And I think and that's OK. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's room for that. There's a whole generation that's going to love that. And I don't dislike it. I just think that for me, I when I write a song, and I record a song. I already see the video in my head. So for me, it's like a ha now I have to do that. Which sounds great, but it's also kind of like annoying because yeah. like it's another thing that I'm like, okay, now I have to do this specifically. I don't think the Toronto music video scene is like lacking, to be honest. I think right now everybody podcasts music, music videos, everybody's in this race for content. Yeah. So I think there's there's also a lot of pressure on artists to do so many things, which is really awesome. But maybe not every artist wants to come up with the concept and maybe not... Every artist has the funds because we mentioned factor in these things, but yeah. not everybody's getting that right. So yeah. maybe all they can do is go to their homeboys yeah. like condo. But I think I've seen a big pullback um, on on videos in general because people are like, oh, they're not watching them on YouTube. Even, even with me, I'm told, like, just keep it strict to like your TikTok and your Instagram content. Not true. So I think that sometimes that's why we're seeing like a bit where people aren't really putting out music videos as often because there is no much music playing videos all day long and there isn't really a platform for yeah. them. But I, for me personally, I think music videos are so important because it's just, it's another form of content, yes. But I think it tells the story of who you are as an artist. So I don't, I definitely don't want to hate on anyone's like condo mandem video because <laughs> I think depending on the song, Hey, that's, you know what I mean? That's the vibe. Yeah. And a lot of those videos get crazy views and yeah. those songs get great streams. It's just, I think 
for me, it's like I like to plan kind of what it's going to be yeah. and curate it differently. And yeah. I think that just comes every artist has their own vision, right? Yeah. So if their vision is they want to have a lit like party and that's what the song is and that's what they want to show, you know what I mean? But I no. think there's a lot of good videos out there. I think we don't get to see yeah. them because the race for content is so crazy yeah. and there's just so much that we're only going to see you know yeah, what we see. I think the last good music video that kind of had that same style, uh, Griselda Blanco, Blanco and all that too, like it was like a Toronto anthem still to this day and all that too. Same style, but it kind of had like a unique aspect uh, too uh, for a bit. And I think, you know, we could even like go through it like an, on another day and all that too. But like, I think like that's like one thing that I'll plug in uh, right now. But yeah, I, one of my favorite videos of all time is ASAP Rocky's LSD. Oh, like that video for anyone who hasn't seen that video, you have to watch it. It's so creatively done and it's just such a cool concept. So that's like my all time favorite music video. Oh, true. Likewise. And, you know, getting on to like the next uh, topic right here. Um, Tell me more about your performing experience as like a solo artist. And like, what was that like, you know, performing like all over like the city in that sense? Um, I used to hate performing, <laughs> which is probably something I shouldn't tell people. But I used to hate performing. I used to get really bad stage fright. And I pushed myself to just kind of get over that in a sense where... I also love dancing. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to bring some dancers. I'm going to feel like a little more comfortable. I like the way it looks aesthetically. It's also me. So it's more of my personality. But more recently, I've really been like focusing on my jazzy R&B stuff. And I want to like be able to just do that more intimately the way I would in a studio with like a candle and just chill. So I think playing a lot of shows last year really helped me like just kind of break out of that shell and realize that the way people are playing shows now or is also very different than the way people were playing shows 15 years ago where there is backing tracks. There's like, there's so much more going on now that I would say helps a lot of artists. It can hinder depending on how much you use it and how much you're really singing live and all that. But I think playing SOBs in New York was probably one of the funnest and scariest things for me. But I went into my, my just say yes kind of year. And when they offered me a show in New York on a stage where like, all these greats have played I was so excited but I think taking those leaps and even though it's scary it's like th that's exciting and just being more prepared for it after I did last year I became a lot more prepared for that show because I forced myself to do other shows so I've actually learned to love performing live but I for a long time just didn't like it at all yeah. um, um but yeah, I think that it's growth. Like we, there's no really artist development anymore. You're kind of just thrown in and you develop as everybody's watching. So I think that that's an area that I feel like I've developed a lot um, in the last year. Because nowadays too, like music, it's like, you know, be lit on TikTok and all that too. Like if you can make it within that one minute, like, you know, you're a superstar one day too, because it's the whole like attention span and all that. So it's like... um you know, you need to fit into like that whole like one minute for the attention spend and all that to kind of get people like uh, going uh, for a bit too. And like, you know, like, hey, if you could like rock a stage and all that, like it'll be uh, lit. But people don't see like the downsides that like not everyone's going to like listen to the same stuff or like mm -hmm. kind of see you like live if the music really doesn't like, match uh, nowadays too. Because there are some people that are seeing like, you know, old concerts uh, nowadays too, like from like old artists uh, like Pink Floyd and all that or you know Beyonce or like also like Seal or like who else Elton John because they've made music that's like you know very like timeless in time and all that too like but when we compare it to other people that are like big right now but aren't really selling as much because of the music that they have you know sometimes too 
you kind of question if that's like the right approach to them. Like, should this artist like? And I think it's like also with the pandemic too and all that because mm-hmm. with artists, um, you know, those two years like 2010, 2020 and then twenty twenty one, you know, people were like kind of like shelved in uh, for a bit too to stay at their home. So they're putting those same people that kind of blew up around that time at these like big venues, but then when that return doesn't come, like then it's kind of like questionable, questionable uh, for a bit too. So. Yeah, I definitely like agree like in that sense, you know, so. I think there's a f- there's so many factors into that too where ticket prices are just insane. And I'm someone who loves to go to concerts. I'll drop money on concerts. Oh, true. But even I'm like, "Ooh, I don't I can't <laughs> do that." Like ticket yeah. prices are absolutely nuts right oh, now. <laughs> like that's something that I feel like we have to talk about. And like I don't know, I don't plan on getting sponsored by Ticketmaster. So I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Ticketmaster is crazy right now, yeah. you know, and it's it's unfortunate because it's really, I think it's also like hindering what people's perception. Oh, nobody really wants to go to this show. And it's like, no, by the time that they've added all their taxes, people can people can barely afford groceries in the city, this city alone. Yeah. So never mind the rest of the world. Right. Yeah. So I just think there's a lot going on. And like you said, the pandemic's adding to people trying to make back the money they lost. Yeah. But I think the ticket prices are a huge reason that I've been to, and I won't name names of artists, but I've been to three or four shows that were sold out. And they're not sold out. So I'm like, okay, so we're trying to make it look like they're sold out because they're not. There's tickets here. I'm here at the door and I can buy tickets. So I think that there's a few things at play there. And I think that unfortunately, the like just the pandemic and the financial situation of the world and Ticketmaster (laughs) is all adding adding to that as well. No, 100% too, because I've read like some reports that I think Beyonce concert tickets were like what, like five bands like seven bands for like a 100 like seating level and all that and that's like also kind of crazy uh, too and like even like this one kid uh that tried to go to travis scott's uh, concert in egypt that's kind of postponed uh right now there's like claims oh, that yes. he sold his house to kind of get the tickets and there's like a lot of crazy things that can happen like even with the whole taylor Swift situation because with scalping with like third party buyers and all that the like bots. <laughs> it kind of happens uh, from there for to kind of make the prices like gouge like a little bit more, and you know it's hard for even people to buy it too. You know to kind of like have it in a better reception than to like also like save money as well too. And I think that's something that we do need, really need to talk about, like maybe like in the future too, like to see like what could work out from there to kind of change the way of life when it comes to like live performances and events in that sense too so yeah i agree like yeah. i i beyonce is one person where i get it because you're seeing beyonce and even though mm-hmm. some people may not realize this that's like one of the highest levels of performers in the world who's put in all this time and the dancer like there's so much in her show that i understand like i can understand the prices more on that level and she's gonna sell them so yeah. it's like okay Beyonce, go off. You know what I mean? Do your thing (laughs) for sure. But I think on some of the with some of the smaller performers, it's only hurting them because they don't have any they don't have any real weight to make the prices lower. So I think a lot of artists are talking about that. Like we put our tickets up for fifty dollars. How come they're one hundred and fifty dollars now? Yeah, no, it's pretty interesting, too. Um, Mm -hmm. And we'll definitely speak more about that uh, like later on uh, in the pod. Uh, But um, I wanted to ask, uh, too, with the music that you make uh, now versus before, do you feel that there was like a significant like change uh, for the better in that sense yeah so you mean like from yasmin soul to beauty in the riot yeah, correct. yeah so i think that yasmin soul was me just having fun and even though i made music videos and the producer didn't change really much my main producer 
I think that I was doing it for me just to have fun. And I, I played shows and it was like kind of getting my feet wet in a sense. And then when I lost my best friend, Bianca, and and my boyfriend at the time, Reed, I didn't feel like the same person. Like I just didn't even feel like that person existed anymore. And I found a lot of beautiful moments, like sitting, waiting for the funeral to start. I had like a butterfly fly around me and was like hitting my face and just like all over. Just just moments that are so special in such a dark time that that's where beauty and the riot came from it wasn't about beauty being like a beautiful person it was about beauty in in life and finding like these beautiful moments in a riot or in a situation where it's like it's not supposed to be beautiful but you're still you know finding something positive in it and that's sort of how my name came and the music changed because I had been through a lot and I was like I want to take these experiences and these two people I held so dear to me and I want to like chase my dreams because they can't chase theirs. And so it became more of like, I'm doing it for us. And so I think that that's why my name changed at all. And that's why I feel like the music has changed because I just grew more because I went through more as a person. 100% too. And, you know, it has like elevated like a little bit more with like acting and all that too. And you actually had two roles, actually one in Poser and then one in Drowning. I think one's a movie and then like one's like a TV episode as well too. So and what was like that experience like when you auditioned for those roles, like being in those like projects and like, you know, the impact that it had for you like around that time? Yeah. So Poser was something I auditioned. I think I found it myself on like Kijiji years ago. And it was um, a Rogers TV series for three main characters. And I got I auditioned and I got the role of like the main girl. And so I was like, this is this is awesome. <laughs> like it was so fun. And I loved acting. And actually, funny enough, Mina Masad, who was just played Aladdin in Disney's Aladdin, was in Poser. So, you know, shout out to him because he went very, very far and really took it. A few people in Poser have done really well in their acting career, but I loved it. I love being on camera. The only reason I th I really slowed down that is because I, I love music. I love <laughs> dance. I love directing. I yeah. love, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like, listen, you got to pick one and just focus on it. And you can always do other stuff yeah. later. But I think when you're trying to do seven things, you're never going to do one really well because you're trying to do too, too many things. So I actually stopped acting just for that reason. So I was like, let me focus on my on my music. But every time I watch a TV show, every movie, like I miss it so much. Like it's in my gut. Like I really want to get back into it. Yeah. But the timing is everything and whatever the universe brings, it'll bring. So yeah. That was Poser. And then Drowning was a little darker. Like my role was darker. Um, I played a woman named Tammy who like was a drug addict and didn't take care of her kids and was in like this group talking, discussing that. So those oh. totally different roles. Um, but again, a really, really awesome director and just like a fun film to, to be part of. Yeah. Uh, likewise. And I don't know if it like kind of like led to other opportunities that you might have to like pause out for a bit too because I know if some people like when they build their like resume especially within Canadian acting you know there's like opportunities to be in shows at CBC like you know like I think Hudson and Rex or like you know even being in like a mini series or like even being in Degrassi too so those opportunities like happening like around that time or well yeah I had an agent and I was auditioning for roles I auditioned for a role in Degrassi and a role um and a few things on CBC but I went to school for journalism and I was actually like working in radio at CB or interning, sorry, in radio at CBC. So I kind of wasn't as focused. Like I was there all day and to be an actor, anyone who knows, 
anything about film or has done acting, it's like you can't have a life during the day because you have to go to auditions. And if you book it, you have to book time off work. So it's really hard to have a day job. You sort of have to to be in a flexible situation. And so I wasn't able to just keep doing that. I had to kind of pick what I wanted to do. Um, so, but I did audition for quite a few things. Oh, and, and again, like I loved it and I'm sure I'll be back at it at some point. Oh, true, no, 100% too. And you actually have like an upcoming single uh, like right now. So um, tell me more about that in terms of like the creative process and inspiration and what fans and like listeners can expect. Yeah, so Betty Nono came out today. Um, I'm super hyped about it. The production on it is like a pop, almost like garage UK feel. Um, so that came about, I just loved the idea of like that kind of sound and bad look. My producer just was like, built it so beautifully. And we kind of built from scratch when working together. So I was just writing as he was building and like kind of asking for things to drop out. And I think it's really like a nice arc. I think for me, I think it might be the best song I've ever written. So I'm really excited for that and, and to shoot the video and that'll come soon. But yeah, Betty Nono is is out today and like i said i think it's the best song i've written to date so sure. i'm excited to see how it's received and it's like a fun summer play in your car like pop it's a, it's a banger i'm not gonna lie i'm not usually this confident but like this song is 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 dope so yeah. nah likewise and we're gonna put it on our playlist uh soon uh, so you could like check it out like on the link uh below like when people like uh tap in like when it's uh released too and yeah, like also like tap in like on the monthly uh, playlist uh, too. Like we always update that too. So for people like watching or listening, like tap in uh, right there and all that, you know. Um, but uh, get back on to uh, topic uh, right now. Um, you you know you dealt with like a lot of like trauma like in your life too, with your father like passing away, and then also two of your loved ones like passing away, your boyfriend and then your best friend too. So it could like deteriorate like your mental health like in a way in that sense too. So. In that, in that sense, how do you deal with, like, your mental health as a person in your position with everything going on in your life, with family, with loss, you know, with dealing with music, with dealing with work and all that? Have you ever felt at times it could be, like, overwhelming, like, going on in your life in that sense, too? Or? Definitely. I've definitely had my bout of mental illness. I had, like, like I mentioned, the depression earlier with If I Follow. Um, they said I had PTSD after my dad passed away. And I had like a suicidal situation or episode, I guess I would say, where I actually drove myself to the hospital because I just felt like not in control of what I wanted to do. And it was really scary. So I'm a big believer in therapy and not necessarily like one therapist doesn't work for everyone. One type of therapy doesn't work for everyone, but like continuously trying to find somebody or something that works for you. Um, I think having music as an outlet is like a gift I think everybody should journal, even if you hate reading or hate writing. I think just streamline journaling is something that I think I'm really big on. And I actually just got one of my friends a journal last week <laughs> that I gave because I think just writing down all of these things that get trapped in our head, even we don't know what we're feeling sometimes or why we're upset. We just feel away. And sometimes I think just writing everything and getting it out is so key. So for me, I, I'm a big believer in in therapy. But I know therapy scares people because they don't want to sit and tell someone yeah. something and they're just kind of stiff on the other side of the room. And that's was my issue, too. And I found a therapist that actually said to me, what do you need from therapy before we ever started? And I was like, oh, this is this person makes sense, like because yeah. everyone needs something different. So 
whatever therapy is for someone, I do still believe that like talking to somebody is, is key for me. Grief therapy was like a group, um, that happened at the funeral home that I went to for quite some time. And it really did help just knowing other people kind of feel the same way. It's the same as if you're sad and you want to listen to a sad song and someone's like, why you're just going to cry. It's like, I just need to know someone else has felt this crappy too, you know? So yeah, I think, I think those are the things that are really important. And music is just like a wonderful outlet that I'm lucky to have, but whatever that is to somebody, I think leaning into those outlets and also cutting out toxic people that (laughs) out of your life, whether it's family or friends that are not going to be there for you or not going to say things that are really going to make you feel any better is also key because you have to protect yourself first. So 100% too. And I feel like even like taking breaks as well too, you know, like when you have that open opportunity, just like go out, you know, do, do your thing, like decompress, you know, it's kind of like a interesting uh, like way to kind of be back in the right mood that you could be and then like get back to work on that. And I feel like nowadays too, we don't really realize that until our body starts to depreciate and, you know, lose like in value in that sense too, because if we put like a hundred percent and 10% like on what we're doing right now with work, with content, with other things too, with commitments, you know, sometimes there could be something that could kind of like slow us down or like lead us to like a bad edge and all that too. So having that break and having that time to kind of relax, like vibe out, it's like something good. Like whether it's like, you know, going for a massage or going for a walk or eating good or like, you know, going on vacation, like anything can work out either way too, you know? So. Yeah, I agree with all of that. No, most definitely. And you know, social uh, media nowadays, like what are your thoughts on it? Hmm. How so? Like just where we're headed with social media or like with what's going as on as an right artist? Now? I wouldn't even say just like an artist, just like as a regular person as well, too, you know, seeing like these photos and these contents. And it's like, you know, I'm very like, you know, you get like very depressed on like what you're seeing and all that, too, you know, like because like sometimes, too, we could post something on social media and the reality is like we could have something that's great, but technically we're not really happy and we're not really there. It's just something that is like a temporary like high like in that feeling you know with the whole like dopamine situation you kind of do something to kind of have like that lustful feeling you know like an energy with within competition within drive and all that but then once that's uh released you know then we kind of get like that whole disgusting like whole yeah. like tiresome like feeling and all that right. too. So it's like that's a good one um i th- i did post something I think it was last year where I was like trying to make this song and I was just crying because the song was so like personal and I ended up posting it and there's always gonna be people are like why are you videotaping yourself crying you know what I mean there's always someone complaining on social media somewhere but it's like I think it's important as a person and yes also as an artist to be like not everything not every studio session is this glamorous thing and not everyone's life is Instagram like Instagram's not actually real I've been doing this the last two days. It's interesting you mentioned this. I've actually been deleting Instagram off of my page. So even though I have to post and I posted my song today, then I just deleted Instagram as the app totally. And it's not because I hate Instagram. It's that my thumb will always click Instagram to open it. And I think a lot of us do that even when you're like, oh, I what was I doing? How did I get on Instagram or whatever that app is to you that's like kind of addicting. And when I don't have it there, I won't click on it unless I absolutely need to. And it's very rare that I absolutely need to go on Instagram. So I've been noticing like just doing that throughout the day. And then maybe at night when I want to unwind, I can open it. I think doing little things like that is going to start to help, especially when there's more and more and more apps like threads. And I actually like threads because there's less visuals. 
So it's like I can just sort of read and and I feel I find it right now because it's new. It's still pretty positive. (laughs) But I think really starting to realize how much time you're spending on it and what why you're on it. Um, I have friends that will be like, oh, I'm taking a a break. And I'm like, that must be nice. But I don't really have that luxury in today's society with artists. If you're not like doing anything current, like you're forgotten about and whoever was following you doesn't care anymore. So I think taking breaks is key. I think. I'm grateful that this came out when I was older. I don't know how young high school kids or even younger are going to adapt to everything we're doing. And even me, I I spoke about this recently, but there was this picture of this like beautiful girl. And I remember scrolling being like, wow, this girl's so pretty. Like, I wish I looked like that. I kept scrolling and I went back. I'm like, is this girl AI? Cause she actually kind of, when I looked at it again, she actually kind of didn't look real. And I was thinking that is such a scary (laughs) thought because we already, you know, women and men were already competing with these fake images. Now we're competing with a a person that's not even really a person. So I know I think there's some there's definitely going to be some discussions around that. It's kind of a it's we're in an interesting time. It could go either way. And I'm grateful that we're having conversations like this one where we're at least acknowledging how people are really feeling after they get likes or after they don't get enough likes or after so-and-so doesn't follow them back or et cetera. Cause it does, it does affect our mental health. And I think so, especially for younger people, I think. No, 100%. And I think this is like kind of like what I want to po- point out for like the last part too. It's like TikTok right now for these like new generation of kids and teenagers and young adults, it's the new Instagram route right now. Because mm-hmm. when we look at it at our time, we only have t- uh, Twitter and like Instagram too. So that's like what we're using uh, right now from what we're posting to what we're kind of completing with and all that. So for them, like with TikTok, it's like something that, you know, it's like unique, easy to follow and all that and kind of more creative. So I think like that's going to be like the new wave uh, right now, even whether you're not posting and all that. So pretty much. Yeah, I think TikTok, the cool thing about TikTok is it's really what you make of it. If you want to only see videos of farms or meditation or something positive you will but if you want to see the other stuff you will so i think people have to remember that when they go to search something or watch something on tiktok that algorithm is just going to be like oh you like seeing negative things okay we're just going to show you negative things so i think it's like programming your brain in a sense to make sure you're watching what you want to see more of and not what is just like a wow factor or a shock factor Uh, no 100 too and um you know just uh we have like some of these like couple topics uh, left uh, for a bit too. Uh, but uh, how do you feel about the Toronto Canadian music scene uh, right now? Do you feel that there should be some changes on where the scene should go to, or do you feel like it's fun the way it is? Um, because I grew up in the Toronto scene, it's kind of interesting to watch it grow and evolve and be acknowledged in other countries way more than it was back then. Even though we had the same amount of talent. I would say one thing I really want to keep seeing, and it, there is bouts of it now, is community. And less of the like, okay, you have to leave. You know, again, we talked about Jesse Reyes. Yeah. Jesse Reyes, everyone else that you could name in Toronto has had to leave for us to pay attention to them. And then when they come back, oh, sold out show. So I know that happens everywhere. It's not just Toronto, but I would love to see more community of people actually supporting yeah. their own people and not everything is competition. And if you build a cross, instead of trying to like always reach up, you'll actually build a stronger foundation. You know, when you look at the the Timberlands and the Missy Elliott's and people who really like work together and built something together yeah. and, you know, h- held each other's hand and built 
up. I think that that's something that Toronto is lacking and I'm seeing it more now. And I'm hoping that that's like the actual trend and it's not just the right now yeah. thing. Um, I would love to see more community just amongst art, amongst artists um, across the board. Yeah, no, most definitely. We talked about this like in a private chat and all that, but I definitely would like to see you like open up for like Jesse Ray's or like even like co-headline with her and all that. So I know you said like that was like kind of like your dream tour as yeah. well too. So like I think we can like manifest it. Manifest up for the it. Yeah. <laughs> I would love that. Opening for her is definitely a dream. Uh, most definitely. And uh, just uh, with this uh, other... I think we already explained this uh, too earlier, but uh, with your father being a multi-Juno award winner who's toured with the likes of James Brown, multiple releases under the band's name that did well commercially and critically acclaimed wise up until his death, do you feel that his legacy is already solidified in in Canadian music or do you feel like there's more to be done? I feel like his legacy is solidified. I feel like it's not written down. So for me right now, like one of my, you know, side projects that I haven't told too many people about is like really working towards making sure certain things are in place. Because as far as I know, and again, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Jack Soul is the longest running R&B group in Canadian history. Things like that need to be documented. (laughs) So I think for me, his legacy is definitely intact, but I think actually writing things down, whether that be, you know, halls of fame or whether that be certain boards having his name in certain places. I think that that has to happen. And that's something that I definitely will be pushing for outside of, you know, beauty, but as me, as a, as a person, as his daughter, because I think the history is really important. And I think it's important to Canadian music history. It's important to black Canadian music history in general that, you know, that happened. And I think, um, there's more to do in terms of the paperwork side of things, but in terms of him himself, I, I think he's definitely done a lot. <laughs> in 39 years, he did a lot. So. Oh, most definitely. And do you have any like regrets in your life or do you re- regret nothing? You know what's funny about that is I can't, I'm sure there's something small that I regret, but I'm very grateful that I don't. Um, and I will say this because we spoke about trauma and loss and stuff. I I believe in like telling people you love them, taking pictures with people, all that kind of stuff. And it's so key because you don't know how much time you have here and not even to get like that dark and deep. I just think living life and being kind to people is so underrated. And I, I say this a lot, but like the most gangster thing you could be is kind. So I just think I luckily I don't have regrets because I had really great parents, but you know, I'm sure there's some small regrets here and there, but I don't have anything like major that I wish I had changed. And I'm grateful. Hopefully the next, 50 years is the same. <laughs> All right, nah, most definitely. And uh, I know we're kind of short like on time uh, for a bit too, but uh, do, you, do you have like free songs in your, catalog, in your catalog that you'd like to recommend for people who want to like know more about you for the first time? Sure. So I do R&B and like a jazzy style and I do pop alternative. So to kind of like touch base on all those flavors, I would say Honey and Paper. Um, I would say the song that came out today, Betty No-No, for sure. And Little Demon, because Little Demon is the one that everyone always reminds me of and tells me they love. So those are the three. Almost definitely. And uh, what do you have uh, coming up uh, next aside from your single? And do you have any like closing remarks you'd like to say? Coming up next, I just have a lot more music. I'm working towards an EP um, that's going to be show more of my my jazzy R&B side because I'm doing a lot of pop alternative right now. So people can kind of get that vibe. But I definitely want them to see both sides of my music and my styles. And closing remarks, I don't have anything to say other than like, this has been really dope. Like, thank you for having me. And 
yeah, I loved I loved the questions <laughs> and the conversations. So. Yeah, nah. Um, I mean, Beauty in the Ride, you know, thank you for coming by too and all that. And I also had like this uh, one thing uh, too. Um, I don't know if you're going to see Barbie or Oppenheimer uh, next and all that. Like, I don't know if you're like a movie head and all yes, that. Yes, I so. am. <laughs> ah, true. <laughs> yes. So, like, I'm I know like... Trying to see Barbie tonight, actually. Ah, <laughs> That's really funny yeah. you said that. I actually just saw it uh, <laughs> just yesterday too. And, you know, it's actually oh. uh, pretty uh, lit from there. Uh, I don't, I don't want to give any spoilers, okay. but... It's all for the culture, British Commonwealth, you know, the four, yeah. Reynolds, Lou, Dua Lipa, Robbie, um, I think another one too, but yeah, like you got to support so. the Commonwealth, you know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, Beauty in the Ride, you know, thank you for coming by, you know, sharing your story, sharing your own story and, you know, explaining like what you've uh, done, like in that time and all that within music, within culture and with everything else too. And we hope to have you back and all that too. And, you know, this is episode 45 of uh, Tila White Talks with Josh, also known as Yashu. As mentioned before, you could see it on YouTube, but along with Buzzsprout, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, much more. It'll be in the link in my in the bio, like when it's dropped and all that. And yeah, you know, give it a thumbs up uh, or like five stars, like if you're on Apple Podcasts and all that. And yeah, you know, I'm signing off uh, right now.